All right, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's, all right, thank you, Billy. We are uh, continuing our study this morning uh, in our, our uh, adult Bible class here on uh, Christian apologetics. So I'm thankful for your attendance here this morning as we continue to uh, look at, you know, what does the field of, poly- of apologetics uh, teach us or, uh, you know, get us going towards as far as um, proclaiming the, the, you know, the existence of God and the infallibility of the scriptures and the deity of Jesus. And so uh, the past couple of weeks, we talked about the existence of God. Again, it's that first pillar uh, that, that upholds you know, Christianity, if we're going to uh, defend the faith, if we're going to uh, talk to someone about the hope that is within us, you know, that first pillar uh, that we need to start with is the existence of God. And I know, again, we spent a couple of classes uh, talking about that. And, you know, there are some who, uh, of course, uh, you know, that's, that's something that you're going to have to uh, start out with uh, because maybe they, they come to you with an uh, an atheistic approach that God doesn't exist, and so you need to start there. But a lot of times, uh, you know, people uh, will come wanting to, you know, study the scriptures, but they come with already the preconceived notion that God exists, and that's a great thing because if uh, if they already start there, then then there's really no need to go back and study you know, the existence of God with them, but then we should really talk about this, that second pillar of uh, apologetics, of Christian apologetics, which is uh, the inspiration of the Bible. Is God's word infallible? Is, it, is the Bible from God? Right? We, we want to stress and emphasize, again, the authority of scriptures. Right, that this isn't some just uh, some you know just uh, a, a product of man. That it's not nearly necessarily just a good book, but that again that this is inspired. That it is truly uh, God's word. You know, uh, imagine you know, and I guess back in the day when we actually talked on phones and stuff. But imagine when you when you talked on uh, uh, the phone and someone told you to hey get off the phone. Right. Uh, you know that someone's telling us to get off the phone. That's sort of a you know a command there. But what what if somebody? But what if your your brother or sister said, "Hey, get off the phone because mom and dad said so." Right now, there's a little bit of a authority behind it. Right, and now you're probably your ears are a little perked up, and uh, hopefully uh, you know because mom and dad said uh, to get off the phone that you are going to uh, comply with mom and dad's orders. Right, and that's the same thing. Uh, with with the Bible, with the Scripture, uh, if we cannot prove that the Bible is in the inspired Word of God, then again, what weight does it carry for us today as Christians? Uh, if it is the inspired Word of God, then then everything it says uh, must be obeyed because you know this is the authority of the Creator who who stands behind it. So, one of the things we want to just talk about uh, for a second is what does inspired mean when I say that the scriptures are inspired? Well, you know, we get this, um, this, this thought from 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17, where it says all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every uh, good work. And that word there, inspire, you know, it literally means God breathed. These are not words of man. These are not the inventions of man. uh, But these are words that God breathed out. Uh, He breathed upon or into. So when we say, again, that that the Bible is inspired, what we're saying is these are God's words. These are God-inspired words uh, that uh, men who he chose wrote these things down. And since, uh, of course, God is omniscient, you know, uh, that he's all-knowing, That would guarantee that the writers of the scriptures uh, would not make factual or historical or even, you know, scientific errors. Again, because it is infallible. It is 100 percent true. And so uh, to determine this claim, you know, we need to do a couple of things. We need to establish that the Bible actually claims to be the inspired word of God. You know, does this book actually claim to be the word of God? Uh, And then secondly, uh, we need to demonstrate that the Bible contains things that no other books written by mere men could contain. So let's first ask that question. You know, does the Bible claim uh, to be inspired of God? Second Peter chapter one, verses 20 and 21. Very similar to what we just saw in second Timothy. But Peter says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So again, you know, we ask ourselves, if the Bible never claimed to be inspired, you know, would, would we even take it seriously this morning? Would we even take it seriously if it never claimed to be inspired? However, uh, as we've seen in these uh, two verses alone, uh, the Bible claims to uh, be inspired. Again, Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen. Second Peter chapter one, twenty and twenty-one. Uh, notice First uh, Corinthians chapter two, uh, starting in verse eleven. Notice what Paul says here. He says, "For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God." Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, uh, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. You know, basically what Paul's saying here is, you know, no one can know the thoughts of man unless, you know, he he speaks them out, right? What I'm thinking uh, in my head right now, you know, you... Don't know those things unless I verbally uh, let you know that. But then he says, uh, no one can know God's thoughts, again, unless it's revealed by the, the Spirit of God, uh, the Holy Spirit. right? And so uh, the only way that you and I know uh, God's thoughts, according to Paul here, is uh, that they have been revealed. And Paul's saying, you know, I'm somebody who God revealed uh, his thoughts to, and then I am, in turn, you know, telling you, I am preaching these things uh, to you. Uh, going back to Second uh, Peter, in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, just one more thing I want us to notice about uh, Scripture. Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14, uh, we notice here that Peter says, uh, Therefore, 
Uh, Beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. So also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Now, Peter here in these verses is saying, you know, the things that Paul wrote is scripture, right? Uh, When we talk about scripture, uh, you know, we're not talking about, um, you know, just an ordinary book, but this is a holy, revered uh, book, holy, revered words, words that people revere and, and place before them as, as high and holy. That's scripture. And Paul said, or excuse me, Peter said that the things Paul wrote was scripture. Um, again, the Bible over and over, uh, you know, will confirm that, yes, it is inspired by God. Now, uh, when we read the Old Testament, you know, especially in the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or in the, the minor prophets, or the major and minor prophets. For, for instance, you know, time and time again, the statistic, the statistic I had 2,700 times, you know, it says something like, the Lord said, or, or this is the word of the Lord. Again, over and over and over again, the scriptures claim to be the word of the Lord. If you have a Bible like mine, you know, that has, uh, you know, roughly, you know, 1,200 pages, you know, that's over two times a page on average that, uh, you know, that we're getting a confirmation that these are the words of the Lord. You know, that's quite impressive. That, that's a, a lot of times. But we ask ourselves, though, uh, you know, obviously just, and this is going to be uh, the skeptic's angle, uh, that their argument is going to be, well, just because, you know, the Bible claims to be the word of God, uh, that doesn't mean it, right? Uh, you know, I could stand up before you here and tell you that, you know, I'm the new president of the United States of America, right? But does that make it true? Does that make it so? Because I just... Uh, made that declaration to you, and we all, of course, are probably thinking that guy's crazy, right? That, 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 that's not true. And so what we need to do, first off, you know, just as we uh, looked here a second ago, that we need to establish, you know, that the Bible actually claims to be the inspired word of God, which it does. And there are, of course, there are other books out there that uh, claim this as well, uh, you know, thinking of... Uh, of the Quran, you know, that the, the Muslims would follow. There are other books that claim to be inspired by God. And so uh, once that's established, you know, then we need to take it to that second level and demonstrate that the Bible contains things that no other book written uh, by mere men uh, would contain. Again, just because the Bible claims it, uh, we, we need to, you know, understand uh, what within Scripture, uh, you know, again, if we're talking to someone, uh, how we can... You know, prove that this is truly God's word. So let's talk about some, um, you know, facts of the Bible. Of course, the Bible shows unity. You know, we we understand this from Genesis all the way through Revelation. You know, we see this this marvelous unfolding of, of the general theme of starting with man's fall and uh, you know God's plan of redemption to save man. You know, we understand uh, you know that this book. This book that was written over a period of 
you know, 1,600 years. Right? This book took 1,600 years to compile from the days of Moses all the way to the Apostle John when he wrote Revelation. Uh, this book contains uh, books written by approximately you know, 40 different authors, 40 different men. Uh, and of course, these men had various different backgrounds. Right? So, uh, there were fishermen like Peter and, and John, and there were um, farmers. You know, some of the, the, old, the Minor Testament uh, prophets were, were farmers. Uh, there were some well-educated scribes and prophets among the writers of Scripture, and even kings. You know, David, uh, of course, writ many, wrote many of the Psalms. Right? And so we have this wide range of, of men who have written the Scriptures. Uh, most of them did not know one another, right? Again, written over a period of, of 1,600 years, that would make sense. Uh, most of them did not know one another. And so we ask ourselves, you know, where did that unity come from? Right? Uh, how can Moses write, in, or, right, wrote, you know, so long ago uh, in, from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Right of the same nature of God as someone like the Apostle Paul did in the New Testament. You know, we, we need to ask ourselves, where did that unity come from? And of course, we know it's that single guiding hand of God who was behind it all. You know, all 66 books, you know, that, that, that was written in three different languages. Of course, uh, the Hebrew, uh, a tiny bit in the Old Testament, was written in Aramaic. And then, of course, the New Testament was written in Greek and written on three different continents. Uh, you know, of course, uh, uh, Asia and, and Europe and, and Africa. Even Jeremiah wrote some of his uh, words down when he was spending time in northern Africa, in Egypt, and that, and that sort of area. But again, so, you know, we, we take, you know, all of those facts into consideration uh, that they had various backgrounds, vocations, education levels, and it's just amazing, right, that, that we have this unity uh, within uh, Scripture. You know, if I were to take, uh, and this was an example I read the other day, but if I were to take a, uh, you know, a banker from New York, and then let's say I take a, a farmer from Mississippi, and take a, you know, a preacher from Kentucky, and ask them to write an essay on the United States, the history of the United States. Uh, can you imagine you know, how much they're probably going to disagree in the facts that they present? Um, they're going to cite different sources. Right? They're, they're going to have different research methods. Uh, maybe they're going to come with their own political bias uh, to the writings. Uh, we, and they're only writing about a short period of time, right, and compared to, uh, to what the Bible is covering. But yet we understand that those three individuals who are writing that essay on the, the history of the United States, uh, there's going to be some problems uh, within uh, their, different, um, their, their different narratives. Um, but that's not the case with Scripture. Right? With the Bible, we see astounding agreement. Again, cover to cover, the unity uh, in the message of the Bible um, you know, Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, uh, you know, we have that theme that Jesus is coming, right? the Messiah is coming. And then Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the gospel accounts tell us that Jesus is here. And then Acts through Revelation, uh, you know, get ready because Jesus is coming again. 
this great unity throughout Scripture. And we understand that no uh, human author could have written uh, the Bible. That uh, he, on his own, with his own mentality, that he was inspired by God to do that. I know we've touched on these a couple of weeks ago, but some of the, again, you know, some of the amazing facts of Scripture is that it is, you know, it's objective, right? We get the good with the bad, you know, uh, the stories of David, King David, you know, great King David, but yet, you know, the Bible uh, lets us know about some of his his faults, uh, some of those stories that we wouldn't necessarily want. To read in our history, if I, if I was a Jewish man uh, writing uh, the scriptures, you know, it, if in fact uh, it was just writings by man, uh, you know, if I'm writing the historical account uh, of, you know, of King David, I'm not going to want to include those things in there in my history. You know, we, we've talked a lot about in Matthew chapter one when uh, you know Matthew writes about the genealogy of Christ, and remember he he includes uh, people within the genealogy that uh, that no Jew would want uh, seen. You know, in who was supposedly to be the the Messiah. You know, this great King that that's going to uh, come. Um, so again, the Bible is objective. Peter, think of Peter. Uh, all of the times that, you know, he uh, denied our Lord, you know, how did those things get included in the scripture? And of course, is because this is coming from one single mind. You know, God superintended the, the process of the inspiration of the Bible. You know, he, he uh, through the Holy Spirit, oversaw these men who, who wrote these things down. And so although they're writing in their own style, uh, in their own, uh, you know, their own hand, you know, God is giving them, uh, you know, the, the words that he wants uh, relayed uh, through Scripture. So the Bible's objective. Uh, it's restrained. Again, we, we've talked about this, you know, in Acts chapter 12. The apostle James is martyred, and there's only one verse dedicated to that. You know, the first apostle that's martyred. And, you know, again, uh, in the society that we live in, you know, this would be a 24-7 newscast. You know, they would constantly be on the air that, you know, the, the first apostle of Jesus was murdered, yet the Bible only gives us one verse to that, and then it moves on. The Bible is restrained. Uh, it's accurate. Uh, we see that in uh, geography. Uh, we see that within when history, especially uh, in archaeology. Now, I know none of us here are old enough to remember this, but, uh, you know, there was a time where the Bible critics... You know, the, the Bible talks about this nation of people called the Hittites. Right? Over 50 times in the Old Testament, the Hittites are brought up. Of course, uh, Uriah the Hittite, you know, he was probably the most famous Hittite within Scripture. And it wasn't until 1906 where uh, archaeologists finally discovered uh, the Hittite nation. They finally discovered artifacts of the Hittite people. And so from the longest period of time, people were always bringing that up. You know, the Bible made up these people called the Hittites. And because we had no physical proof of that until uh, 1906. Again, the Bible is accurate. And of course, it's enduring. You know, uh, Jehoiakim, remember in the book of Jeremiah, you know, he takes the scroll of Jeremiah uh, that uh, Jeremiah wrote down or had dictated for him. And he cut it up with his uh, with the, those shears and threw it into the fire. And, of course, you remember what God said or had done. You know, the, that scroll was rewritten. 
And uh, the Bible, you know, the point I'm trying to make is the Bible is enduring. It's never going to go away, no matter how many uh, attempt to do that. You know, famously, this uh, French philosopher and atheist by the name of Voltaire, you know, he predicted that within 100 years of his death, the Bible would be decimated, that it would not exist in um, this world. He died in 1778. And, you know, ironically, his home was turned into a printing press. And guess what the first thing that was printed on that printing press? It was the Bible, right? The Bible is enduring. Again, it is uh, the Word of God. So um, as we continue to, again, uh, you know, make this claim uh, again, demonstrate the Bible contains things that no other books written by mere men could obtain. Let's, let's look at some of these. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about all of these. Next week, what I hope to do is talk about what I believe is one of the biggest, uh, the biggest um, evidences for the inspiration of the Bible, which is prophecy. You know, things written five, six hundred years prior uh, coming true. And so that's what we're going to take a look at uh, next week. But this week, we want to talk about uh, scientific foreknowledge, right? There are things within Scripture that we just cannot explain. You know, we, we go all the way back to uh, the book of Genesis and chapter 6. And this is where, you know, God goes and speaks to Noah. And he tells him to construct this great uh, ark, you know, and he gives him the specifications for that. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 15 in particular, uh, he says, This is how you should make it. Uh, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Has anyone ever been to uh, the ark up here, uh, uh, just, you know, just south of Cincinnati? I uh, can't remember the name of the town, but it's pretty impressive, isn't it? Uh, see the size of that to get in to go inside and walk around in it. Uh, it is pretty uh, impressive. But of course, there have been people uh, throughout time who have denied the fact that uh, you know this vessel uh, could have floated uh, on water. And probably one of the more familiar uh, debates that happened uh, was Ken Ham. Okay, so Ken Ham is the creationist. Uh, who uh, helped build uh, the ark and uh, the, the, the creation museum that's over in the same area. And he debated Bill Nye the science guy. You remember Bill Nye the science guy? And I use science guy in quotations uh, because he is a devout atheist, uh, Bill Nye the science guy. And he, they had this uh, debate, uh, and it, a lot of it centered around the ark. Could the ark have floated? Uh, could... Um, or, or was this, uh, you know, just some made-up fairy tale? Well, if we take the, the dimensions of Genesis chapter 6, verse 15, uh, if we break them down into, you know, what we would understand, you know, this comes out to be a vessel 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, and you get this ratio of 30 to 5 to 3. And what we found out over time that this is the exact, you know, perfect uh, ratio replica of you know building a, a boat not now not a boat for speed but a boat uh, of course for uh, containment you know the the big barges uh, that that are that have been made on that ratio of thirty to five to three um, you know that, that's what they design uh, based off of that and so how did you know Moses know that 
so long, or excuse me, well, Moses writing it, but Noah, when he built the ark, how did he know those things so long ago? That those were the perfect, exact um, ratio for building these great, uh, this great ark. You know, again, uh, that's one of the things that we could talk about. But uh, what really, uh, you know, got my attention are the medical practices that we read about. Now, look at, look at that. I have uh, six references right here. I don't know if I have time to go through all of them uh, this morning. But these six are all coming from uh, the Pentateuch. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the five oldest books of Scripture uh, that uh, we have uh, things that... Um, you know, the Bible contained for us that we had no idea existed until, you know, 100, 200 years in advance. Uh, let's look at some of these. Uh, Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17, uh, starting in uh, verse 11. Notice uh, what Moses writes here. He says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Therefore, I said to the sons of Israel, no person among you may eat blood, nor may any alien who sojourn among you eat blood. So when any man from the sons of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them in hunting catches a beast or a bird which may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. Verse 14, for as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. Therefore, I said to the sons of Israel, you are not to eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is is blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. You notice what Moses is teaching the children of Israel, you know, 3,500 years ago, uh, that, that life is in the blood. Right? Uh, how would they have known that? How would they have known that, that our blood contains you know, hemoglobin that carries oxygen all over uh, throughout our body and that blood is important for life? You know, without it, we wouldn't have that. Um, how would we know that it was, you know, it was, it, it's a bad thing to eat blood? You know, Moses had to tell them, don't eat it. Right? Uh, it contains things. You know, it, just as of, you know, a few hundred years ago, you think of George Washington. Do you remember how George Washington died? Okay, yeah, uh, leeches, bloodletting. Uh, that's the practice that they uh, did so long ago was that they uh, believed that there was, uh, that, you know, if a person was sick, that there was something within their blood uh, that was causing it, and so they would bleed uh, people, you know, get that blood out of them, uh, not knowing that life was in the blood. And so many people, uh, you know, died during those days of that uh, medical advancement. You know, uh, that, that they believed that, um, that, that, you know, that life wasn't in the blood, that they, they could just drain that blood, get it out of the person's body, and uh, they would be okay. But again, we ask ourselves, you know, how did Moses know that uh, so long ago? Uh, Genesis chapter 7, I think this will be the last one we'll stop on. Uh, Genesis chapter 7, excuse me, 17, uh, verses 12. Here we have, uh, you know, God uh, giving Abraham this covenant between uh, his people and them. 
And Genesis, again, 17, uh, starting verse 12, says, And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money uh, from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken uh, my covenant. Why does God give this, uh, this uh, instructions to do this circumcision on the eighth day? Have you ever thought about that? You know, why the eighth day? Oh, sorry. Exactly. Yeah, somebody uh, knows some science, right? Uh, uh, you know, uh, this this isn't my forte, but uh, that's you know that's what uh, they have uh, discovered is that on the eighth day, uh, things such as uh, you know platelets in our blood and vitamin K and pro, uh, protrubium, uh, they are at its highest rate on the eighth day. Matter of fact, it's going to be at 110 percent on the eighth day. Um, and then, you know, nine, nine days and further, it's going to come back down to 100. On the eighth day is the exact best day, according to doctors, of when to perform surgery because blood clotting is going to be at its best, right? Uh, this is just, again, it's amazing uh, that uh, Moses, uh, uh, you know, through the inspiration of God, wrote this down, uh, that, that God uh, revealed that uh, to us. And again, this is uh, this is incredible, right? Because we, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, the humans would not have known that uh, back then, so long ago. Well, I know I have about four more I want to go through, but I, I think I'm uh, out of time. So we're going to uh, continue on with, with these, again, more uh, of the scientific foreknowledge that we have in the Bible, include, including, uh, you know, sanitation requirements and God's soap recipe and uh, quarantine, you know, does that sound familiar? Well, the Bible talks about when one should quarantine. And, of course, there's also uh, food restriction laws, you know, why the Jews were not allowed to eat certain foods like pigs. And so we'll talk about that uh, next week. And uh, I think, Mike, do you have our closing prayer for us? All right, thank you.